0: take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. There's also an outline that you can follow along if you'd like to, um, right there on the backside of your bulletin. I'm, I'm in the fourth week of our series, our five-week series on wild goose chase. And for those of you that may be joining us for the first time this weekend, uh, let me kind of recap. Um, the Celtic Christians called the wild goose, their name for him was the Gloss, which meant uh, the Holy Spirit, which meant uh, wild goose. And they said that the adventure and the journey of pursuing God and, and following the Holy Spirit was like a wild goose chase. It was, it was adventurous. It wasn't trackable. It's not tameable. It's, there's an, an air of a certain amount of danger and excitement, and it's invigorating. And so for the past few weekends, we've been talking about who is the wild goose and, and, and how do you encounter the wild goose. And, and we've been talking about last weekend, the expressions personally and, and, uh, and publicly of the wild goose. This week, all those three messages have led up to really what I want to talk to you about. And that is what's what I'm going to talk to you about this weekend and next weekend. Because what happens if we're not careful with, the, with this wild goose experience is we relegate it to a weekend service experience. We dichotomize the working of God, and we compartmentalize it to say God works at Sunday morning at the weekend service, and we, we just drop him there in our life. And we say, this is my spiritual part of my day, and then there everything else is then, is then my week. So God works on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, he's kind of just on the shelf. He's put back in the cage. And sometimes even well-meaning Christians, sometimes in church, we have services so that we say the Holy Spirit works and he's moving and he's doing what he wants to do. And then we clip his wings and put him back in the proverbial cage. And in doing so, we basically leave the Holy Spirit in the back room of the church somewhere. And then we leave and go do our life and then we come back. And as we've been reading and studying, that is not the working of the Holy Spirit. That's not, can, can the whole, does the Holy Spirit work at church on the weekends? Yes, but but the, but the manifestations and the expressions of the Holy Spirit are more for the unbeliever than they are for the believer, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is not meant to be weird or spooky, but it's to be supernaturally working in our natural lives in a way that honors God according to Scripture. And the real working of that isn't on a Sunday morning experience, but it's Monday morning on your way to work. It's Tuesday afternoon taking your kids to soccer practice. It's Wednesday morning going to meet the client. It's Thursday afternoon taking a, taking a, a, a flight to, to, to make the sales presentation. It's Friday evening at a dinner engagement. It's Saturday morning making pancakes with your family breakfast. That's where the Holy Spirit really wants to work in our lives. And what happens is, is we try to tame him or we try to track him or we try to cage him in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit in our lives, if we're not careful, looks a lot more like this than what we intended for him to. And that it's just this cage that we just kind of have him in. And and occasionally when we want, we open the door and we let him out and we let him do what he wants to do on Sunday. And then we usher him back in and we put him back in the cage and we put the cover back over it. And we put him in the back room only to be relegated to the next weekend. And this is not God's idea of the Holy Spirit. This is man's way to control the Holy Spirit. What's funny with this is if you've been in a church where they have a moving of the Holy Spirit, that they'll call it, um, they, they basically rank the service by how much the wild goose has been out to fly. But what's funny is they put him back in the cage, and he doesn't work Monday through Saturday. It's just a very interesting thing. And, and I'm not saying that he can't work on the weekends, but I'm saying that he doesn't just stop and work on the weekends. He can work in your life in the midnight hour, or on your way to making a sales presentation or picking up the kids from school or, 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 or going on your way to the grocery store or going on vacation. That the Holy Spirit doesn't want to be caged, but he wants to be uncaged. So here's an opening question I'm going to ask you this weekend or next weekend. Real simple. What keeps you from the wild goose chase? There are cages that keep us from the wild goose chases. There are mentalities that we have that we cage the Holy Spirit of, and God doesn't want that. And so I want to know what's keeping the Holy Spirit caged in your life. Now, there are three cages I'm going to talk about this weekend. It's in your notes. The first cage is the cage of responsibility. The cage of responsibility. The wild goose chase begins when we come to terms with our greatest responsibility, which is pursuing the passions that God has put in our heart. The wild goose chase begins when we come to terms to the greatest responsibility that we have, and that is pursuing the passions that God's put in our heart. So how do you unlock yourself if you find yourself in the cage of responsibility? And by that, I simply mean that you have said, well, I'd love to do this for God, but I have responsibilities. I'd love to, 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 to give of my time in this area, but I have responsibilities. I'd love to do this, but I've got this. It's always, there's always a but Uh, There's always a reason why. There's always some rationalization of what you can't do. And and some of you right now, I'm really kind of in your kitchen because you don't like the idea that I've relegated your church experience thus far to just me letting the Holy Spirit fly on the weekends. And that's really kind of messing your crusty Christianity up. And I don't mean to do that, but it's the truth. It's the thing is is that we just go, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. And and we have all these reasons why we can't. And... um, The key to unlock this, the key to unlock this cage of of responsibility that we find ourselves in is what we call responsible irresponsibility. Responsible irresponsibility. I know it sounds like a self-refuting theory, but it really works. This is where the world would call what, what, what you're doing a waste, but God calls it worship. This is where the world would say, you're crazy, but God says, no, you're just following my leading. I read an article several years ago uh, by, about the Green family who owns Hobby Lobby, and uh, and and David Green, who is the, the the dad who started Hobby Lobby in Oklahoma City out of out of his garage in his home, uh, ma- making picture frames, uh, and now is just um, just an incredible multi million dollar business. Said this years ago, I quit having the need to expand Hobby Lobby in order to make more money. I had made all the money that I needed to make in a lifetime and all the money I could spend and my kids could spend. And it quit being about expansion in order to, um, to make more money. But I realized that every store I opened, although there was work and there was risk and there was, there was uh, uh, um, uh, expense, that every time that I opened a store, the, 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 um, the ability to make sales and revenue from that store, I could funnel into missions. And so every store began to be not about me making money for myself and for my family. I capped my salary a long time ago. But it was about me being able to expand the kingdom. And I'm not a preacher, and I'm not a speaker, and I'm not a communicator, but I'm a Christ follower. And what I know how to do is make money in the business of home arts and crafts and frames and these types of things. And God's blessed that. And in doing so, I'll continue to open businesses and new markets all across the nation Because I continue to be able to put money into missions. Now, I don't know exactly what the total is right off the top. But I do know at last count, I think personally, they were given $20 million a year to missions. Personally. You see, the world would call that crazy. But God says, no, 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 no. It's responsible irresponsibility. It's it's responsible irresponsibility. It's the fact that God gave Mr. Green, God gave David Green an ability to do something. And now he's taking that and he's leveraging that and giving millions of dollars to ministry and missions around the world. He himself started making frames in the garage of his house. And God's taken that humble beginning. And because he's allowed the wild goose to fly and and to go and not allowed it to become controlled or contrived, God's let it go and God's taken his life. And that's what I'm talking about. Responsible, irresponsibility. We find in Scripture a guy named Nehemiah who was in a very similar situation. And Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. And just to give you a little background really quick, that was like the, he was like the, the number two guy to the king. The cupbearer had to basically taste everything the king was going to ingest. And so the cupbearer was basically the person that stood between the king and his life and death. And so that relationship had to be tight. It had to be trusted. He was in all of the internal operations of what was going on. And here's the interesting twist that the king was the one who basically had come into Nehemiah's hometown and taken it captive. So Nehemiah is not working for his hometown government. Nehemiah is working for the government that came in and took over his city and destroyed the walls and burned the gates of his town. And in doing so, Nehemiah is in this position. He's working in this cabinet governmental position. And we began to read in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, this experience, this responsible irresponsibility that came over Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, one of my brothers, Hanani, came with certain men from Judah, his hometown. And I asked about them and the Jews that survived and those who escaped the captivity about Jerusalem. And they replied, the survivors who were in the province who who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. And the wall of Jerusalem was broken down and its gates had been destroyed by fire. Now just so you understand, he's speaking literally here. But what that meant was that the government was destroyed. Uh, A a city's uh, fortification of its gates and its walls spoke about its strength and its power. The strength and the power that had made Israel a great entity, the God's chosen people, the people of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, had been destroyed and they become a laughing stock. So that's the reason why that's important. Nehemiah says, When I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, here's what happens. Then the king said to me, This is the one who basically allowed the walls to be burned, destroyed and the, and the gates to be burned. What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, Nehemiah said. And then I said to the king, If it pleases the king and your servant has found favor with you, he's fixing to ask the most the most responsible, irresponsible question he's ever asked of his career. I ask that you send me to Judah, back to the city that you destroyed, to the city of my ancestors' graves, that I may rebuild it. And if you read the rest of the story, you find what happens is that Nehemiah basically goes back to his hometown. He has no uh, ironworking knowledge. He has no construction background. He doesn't know. All he knows is that the wild goose is unleashed in his life. He's living life, palms up unto God, and says, God, I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. And he begins to hear the condition of his homeland. And the Holy Spirit, the wild goose, says, This is where I want you to go. You're at the top of your career. You're at the sweet spot of your career. But I'm going to take your position with the king, and I brought you all the way up to this point so that you can go back and be the rebuilder of the walls, so you can be back and be the restorer of the city, so that you can continue to perpetuate the promise that I gave to Abraham. You're here for such a time as this. And all of your friends, Nehemiah, are going to say you're crazy. All of your friends are going to say you've lost your mind. All of your friends are going to say you could lose your head. You could lose your life over this. Because the king is actually the one that allowed that to happen. And he doesn't really care. But you notice that Nehemiah said, if I found favor in your eyes. Favor is not fair. And when God begins to speak to you, and when God begins to do something in you, you and I as Christ followers have an opportunity. Are we going to be, well, I can't do that, and well, I can't be that, and well, I can't go there? Or are you going to open the cage, the door of the cage, and allow the Holy Spirit out to roam free and to go free and to take you where God wants to take you and do what's responsibly irresponsible? And as we read the rest of the story, that's exactly what happened. Not only did the king allow Nehemiah to go, but he financed it. The wealth of the rich of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. See, here's what I want you to get. You may be possible irresponsibilities in your life, maybe your accountant looking at how much money you give to ministry and missions and going, You've lost your mind. This is more than a tax break. This is more than a tax shelter. You're, you're nuts to give this kind of money away from your business or this kind of way, money away personally. It may be you giving up a promising career to go into vocational ministry. And I want to say something about that. Because, again, I believe that God's calling to all of us is different and it's equal. And if God's called you to be an engineer or an architect or a stay-at-home mom, it's the same level as if God's called you to be a youth pastor or a missionary or a pastor. It, we're, it's, 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 for every person, it's different but that, that whatever the highest calling for God for your life is personal between you and God. But I want to tell you, there may be some of you in this room and you may be young and the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart and you may have a promising potential career in front of you to make a lot of money and be very successful in the eyes of the world. But there's something in your heart that's stirring you towards ministry. There's something in your heart that says you need to be that kids pastor. You need to be a youth pastor. There's something about those junior hires that just gets a hold of your heart. There's something about that missionary from the Sudan that you go, that's crazy to go there. The civil unrest is nuts, but I can't quit praying about it. I can't quit thinking about it. For days, I am praying and mourning and fasting. Don't shrug that off as bad as indigestion or a bad Chipotle. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. And I can't call you, but he may be. It, it, irresponsible, it may be giving up your life not and living your life for God and not for yourself. It may be saying, you know what, this amount of money is enough for me. Everything from there, here on out, I want to give towards God. This is, this is my, my time. I want, to, I want to invest this into the kingdom. I don't know what it may be for you, but I just want to tell you, if we're not careful, we find ourselves in the cage of responsibility, and we have all these lists of reasons why we can't do, why we can't go, why we can't be. And I'm telling you, when we do that as Christ followers, we're ushering the the wild goose back into the cage just to shut the door and to say, you stay there until I'm ready for you to come out again. Because some of you, God has given you, just like he did David Green, the ability to make money. And you've got what, what Romans talks about, the gift of giving. Don't be, shared, don't be ashamed of that or be scared of that. God's given you that ability. But he's given you that not so that you can build houses and bigger houses and barns and bigger barns and lay up for the third and the fourth generation. He's given that to you because he wants to leverage that so that he can use that for the kingdom and for missions and to finance his work around the world. Some of you, God's given you incredible, incredible favor with influential people, and he's not giving you that just for yourself. He wants to maybe use them or use you to lead them to Christ. He's moved you into a neighborhood with the most contentious neighbor you've ever seen. That's I'm talking about you now, aren't I? And he's brought you there so that person can come into a relationship with Christ. Unleash the Holy Spirit. The next cage I want to talk about is the, the cage of routine. The gauge of routine. At some point in our spiritual journey, we began to trade adventure for routine. And if we're not careful, sacred routines become empty rituals. Sacred routines become empty rituals. And the key to unlocking this, the key to opening this up is in your notes. The change of place, it's an equation, plus the change of pace equals change of perspective. The change of place plus the change of pace. Equals change of perspective. Let me say that again. The change of place plus the change of pace. Equals a change of perspective. Here's what I mean by this. If we're not careful in our lives. We began to just do church. And live church. And, and do this thing week in and week out. And it's very humdrum. And it's very whatever. That, that's one of the things. And, and we just kind of just do the same old, same old. Same song, second verse. Doesn't get better, just gets worse. That's our life. our relationship with Christ. And what happens is, is because we've never changed the pace of our walk, we've never changed the place of our walk, we just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and over again and expect to get different results. It just doesn't happen. And, and some of you kind of go, well, it's like this, in the local church, it, it's, 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 it's the whole thing of, well, this is the way church has always been, this is the way the church always has to be, and this is how it has to be. And, and, and who moved the organ this week? Who moved the piano? Who gave the pastor the authority to rearrange the chairs? Did we vote on that? (laughs) Did did we take a vote on that? Does the board know about this? I've been in church before. God is my witness, hand to the sky, sitting there and watching a a, a senior saint come and walk down the aisle and uh, to her place in the pew. You know what I'm talking about? Because that's where her Bible and her seat cushion, every, it's her place. Now, there's 30 seats around her that are completely available. It's not that there's not enough room. It's just that's her spot. That's her place. And so she comes down, and only to find a, a guest family sitting in her spot, because they don't know it. Her name's not written there, but, but it's her spot, because that's where she sat for all these years. And she sits there and looks like she's boarding a plane, looking down at her bulletin and looking at them and looking down at her bulletin and looking at them and saying, yes, you're sitting in my seat. I've seen this. And they look at each other and look at her and look around at all the empty seats. And she said, yes, that's my seat that you're sitting in. Insisting on them to get up and to move. When what she realizes is is that she's not intending to be, but she's like a tree planted by water. She shall not be moved. And, and, and And that's the way her life is and her spiritual life is because she can't hear from God. And she's got to have her spot so the wild goose can fly over her at the right time to fly back into the cage to go home. And if you've been in church very long at all, you've seen that happen. And 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 that's the, the reality is people that are caught in the cage of routine. One of the things we do at Life Church as a staff, we say we want to be consistently inconsistent. We want to be consistently inconsistent. When we're creatively programming the weekend worship gatherings, we want to be consistently inconsistent. We want you to know that every weekend when you come in, what we're gonna talk about is gonna be biblically based. We're gonna we're we're going to we're we're gonna have a time to express ourselves unto God. That it's going to be quality. It's going to be done with excellence with, what, with your in the life kids, early childhood and elementary. And that we're going to make things done. The facilities are going to be right and nice and things are going to be good. And, and, that, and that it's going to be a place that you can always bring your friends to, churched and unchurched. That people can come and people can gather and they can get something. We're going to serve up the bread of life hot and fresh every weekend to build the believer and serve the seeker. But what we don't want it to do is become predictable. What we don't want it to do is to go, I know what he's going to do next. I know what's under that black cloth. I know what's happening here. I know, unless you've been to another service, I I know how this is going to do. We want you to walk in every weekend and go, dude, why didn't the piano move this weekend? Why are we still sitting in the same direction? What's going on with this? What's that? When we go, hey, we're going to check out this video, you don't know what's going to happen. And so that there's a certain amount of unpredictability that even in the church service, because we want to constantly say, listen, in your life and in what we're doing, we don't want to become so routine that it becomes predictable. Because people that sit around and go, Christianity is boring. doesn't serve. They don't serve the same God that I serve. Because the, 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 the life and the, ser- and the service of God is completely different. When you are following the wild goose, when you are untamed and untracked, and you go, God, do what you want to do in my life, and, and, and take me out of the routine, and I'll go where you want me to go, and I'll say what you want me to say, and I'll do what you want me to do. And the Bible talks about this many times, but, but a classic verse of Scripture is found in Exodus chapter 3. It's about the life of Moses. and In Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, the Bible says that while Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, he led the flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of a fire of a bush. And he looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Verse 3. And Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. And when the, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him there out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I, here I am. And then he said, come no closer, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. See, Moses, he had been in this routine of doing life this particular way, and God was changing his place, and God was about to change his pace, and it was going to change his perspective. God was going to change his place, and God was going to change his pace, and it was going to change his perspective. And and what happens is in our life that, that, again, that routine, we do the same thing over and over and over again, and it gets dry, and it gets stale, and it gets just crusty, and our Christianity gets crusty, and we become those crusty Christians who fold our arms, and our favorite song is, I shall not be moved, and we laugh about it in church, but that's really who we are if we're not careful. And the only way to keep that from happening is to allow the Holy Spirit to have his will and his way in your life and to change the place and the pace of your life and God will begin to change your perspective. That's why we talk about going on mission trips. That's the reason why we push you to go into the missions trip. It's not that we need something else to do as a staff. It's that you need to go. Some of you are going to go with my wife and other ladies in the fall to go to Ethiopia. And, and, and you're going to go and you're going to change your pace of life and you're going to change your place of life and you're going to, to, to be Jesus with skin on to some orphans for a week. And it's going to radically change your, change your perspective. And you go, but I don't have money for that. We don't have money for that. I asked my wife, how are you paying for this? And she said, I don't know. And maybe she didn't get a job at Burger King. I don't know what she's going to do. But, 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 but sometimes we go, well, I, I can't afford that. Well, we can't afford that. But it's something that God put on Tammy's heart. So God will provide. "Mm, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Some of you go, well, it's just an inconvenient time. It's never convenient. It's never convenient. Oh, my goodness. If you only did the will of God when it was convenient, you would never do it. Because God doesn't come to you in your leisure time. God comes to you at the peak and the pinnacle of just madness in your life and goes, I want a bit of your time. And he's not going to wait for your people to get with his people to get together to get on your schedule. He wants you then. And the wild goose begins to knock on the door of your heart. And so the the deal is, that's why we say, go on a missions trip. It'll change your place, and it will change your pace, and it'll change your perspective. But I don't know how to do construction. Who cares? Go. Go with us. We're going to South America. We're going to do a construction trip. We're going to work with Convoy of Hope towards the end of the year. Go with us on that. Send your kids. Not just to get them out of the house for a week, although that's wonderful, but send your kids because it will change who they are. Because they'll begin to change their pace and their place. Listen, I heard something this past week that's just marinating on the rotisserie of my spirit that I'm going to probably preach a whole message and sermon on, but i got to tell you because it fits with this. When God speaks in your life and when the Holy Spirit does what he wants to do in your life, it always happens in the margins or the white space of your life. And if you have no margins or white space in your life for God to speak, he won't. He's not going to compete with your attention span. He's not going to compete with your schedule. He's not going to compete with that. If you want God to speak to you, you've got to get to a place. You've got to change your place and change your pace and say, okay, God, here I am. Speak to me. In four weeks, I'm going to be going, or five weeks or six weeks, I'm going to Ecuador, to Quito, and I'll fly in and be there and, and do a leadership conference for church leaders with John Maxwell's organization, Equip, and I go with another business, businessman in our church, Telvin Jeffries. He and I both go, pay our own way, go, do the whole deal. And, and when we're there, it's never a convenient time to go. I've asked him this before. I said, does it seem like things just go crazy during this time? He said, every time. We go in the spring, we go in the fall, and next in the fall will be our last trip. And, and um, It just seems like it's never an opportune time. And every time I board that plane under my breath, I say, okay, Lord, I'm here, palms up. And these next few days, you do what you wanna do. Guide me, lead me, let me see what you want me to see. Let me hear from you. And it's like a personal retreat in my life. Not because of the accommodations, not because of the schedule, not because I don't have other things to do, but it's because I make a choice that I'm I'm going to strategically change my place and my pace, and God's going to begin to change my perspective. And that's when God speaks personal personal retreats and group retreats, I encourage you to go on and be on them because you change your pace of life and you change the place of life and God begins to change your perspective. Every year with the staff, I take all the paid staff at Life Church. we shut down the offices sometime in the summer and we'll go and we usually go to a hotel or to a resort, we eat good food and I bring in a guest speaker, a guy that's leading 3, 4, 5, 10,000 people who come in and speak. We'll brainstorm, we'll talk, we'll stay up late and we have some fun stuff and it's pretty much flip charts and org charts and and not in notepads and let's brainstorm this and let's think about this and, and okay we want to start a campus over here in Delafield and we want to do this and that and how are we going to make this happen what are we going to do here what are we going to do there blah. we blah, blah. I mean, just start I mean it's just 48 hours like whoa and we're just like just high gear thinking crunching going after things this year I decided to do totally different we're going to change the pace up we're going to change the place up we're going to change up our perspective I'm taking everybody to the north woods and we're going camping <coughs> Even the ladies. And the only guarantee is it's flushable toilets. Because we're having, we're having tents. We're not doing a nice RV. I'm going to be in a big RV. No, I'm teasing. We're going we're gonna to have tents. And what we're going to do is we're calling this a play and pray retreat. doesn't seem real spiritual at first, but it, it is going to be. Because we do so much brainstorming and thinking, and so much linear thinking, even mosaic thinking, that 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 what we're going to do is we're going to push back from everything that we've got going on, and we're going to we're going to have fun. We're going to play capture the flag and flashlight tag. It's gonna be like a junior high high school retreat all over again. We've got like I've got canoe trips planned. I've got some wild extreme stuff. I think we may go rock climbing one afternoon. Pretty fun. And so, anyhow, we're going to just do some crazy stuff. But intermittent through that time, we're going to practice various spiritual disciplines throughout that trip. And we're just going to get alone. And and at night at the campfire, we're going to, Jay's going to bring a guitar, and we're just going to just unwind and begin to pray and begin to say, God, refresh our spirits and keep us from becoming crusty and stale. Cause if you're not careful, Sunday comes with an amazing regularity in my life. Every weekend, when I get done today, it's not like, ah, oh, I've got another message to prepare for next week. I got another message after that, another message after that, another message. I mean, I don't just lead an organization. I have to speak to the to, to the to the uh, to the board of directors, you guys, every single week. And make it better than the last. So you don't just fold up your bulletin and go to the other church. I'm just teasing. But, but, but you, you see what I'm saying? It's this boom. And if we're not careful, it's all this grind of da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And the Bible becomes a workbook instead of God's word. Change your place. Change your place. Change your perspective. And God begins to work in your life. You may find yourself in that cage of routine. And I encourage you. In a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to change your place and change your pace. And to move from where you are And to come up here and for a few minutes, just between you and God, to open up that cage and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, wild goose, do what you want to do in my life. The third cage I want to talk to you about this morning is the cage of assumption. The cage of assumption. As we age on the spiritual journey, we begin to put limits on God and we stop believing and we start assuming. We stop believing and we start assuming. And we begin to put limits and we go, well, God can't do this and God can't do that. And we, we begin to get to that place. And, and what happens is sometimes is we become amazed when God actually does something. When God actually performs his word, we go, wow, somebody got healed. Did you know that? I mean, we prayed for somebody and they actually got healed. Well, no joke, McFly. That's what the Bible says, doesn't it? Wow, we prayed for somebody's financial need and they got a job this week. actually works. We do this all the time. Wow! He preached on the Holy Spirit who draws us to Christ and points to Him. And 19 people three weeks ago got saved. Wow! And here's what amazes me. We're amazed by people coming to faith in Christ because it's been so long since we've seen it. We're so used to the Christian church being plateaued and decline that it's become a normative deal. That's just how it is in America. And when we finally actually find a church that's growing and that's expanding and that's pushing and that's and God's at move and God's at work and it looks different, we go, Wow, God really does lie. He's alive, he's alive, really. That's what his word says. And what happens if we're not careful, we just become so used to God that we begin to make assumptions. He just, "Eh, here's a limitation, Eh, here's how it is, Eh, here's what's going on. And the key to unlock this cage, if you have put the Holy Spirit into the cage of assumptions, that you've already assumed what he will do and what he won't do, and how he will work and how he won't work. The key, it's not fancy, but it's true. It's called faith. The key to unlocking the the cage of assumption is faith. Now I'm going to give you a couple statements about faith. Faith is not logical, but it's not illogical either. But it's theological. Faith is not logical, which is our idea of what can and can't happen, but it's not illogical. It doesn't mean like it, 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 it's beyond us, but it's theological, which means it's a God-based, a God idea. Next statement I want to make is that faith does not ignore reality. It just adds God to the equation. Faith does not ignore reality. It just adds God to the, to the equation. See, I'm not talking about, you know, if if you come forward and and you are healed, don't just go off your meds. Go to the doctor and say, look, I was prayed for, and and I think God touched me, and here's what happened. Let the doctor document it. Don't don't be scared of that. There's there's no meaning to be scared of. And listen, you don't have to defend God. You don't have to pull a full can of whoop out and defend God with anybody. God, God can handle it. He can do what he wants to do. You don't have to defend God. You don't have to do this or that. God can do what God wants to do. He's God. The question is, will you let him do it in your life? The question is, in your spiritual life, are you going to let the wild goose out? Are you going to let him out of this cage and let him lead you and guide you into what God wants? Or do you have these assumptions that it can't happen like this and it can't be like this and it can't do this and it can't do that? Because this world is filled full of those things. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, that Jesus looked at them and said, For with man or with mortals, it's impossible. But for God, all things are possible. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through him or through Christ who strengthens me. You and I, through Jesus Christ, there are no limits. There's no limitations. The only limitations we have is us. The only limitation we have is, are we going to open the cage or are we going to shut the cage? Are we going to open the cage or are we going to shut the cage? Are we going to try to treat the Holy Spirit in our life like like some wild goose that we've put him in some zoo bird cage so people can walk by and go, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. Cool. I've heard about him, but I've just never seen him. And walk right on. Are you going to open the cage and let him do what he wants to do in your life? So what is it? What is it that you're believing God for? See, some of you, your Christianity is so stale because you don't believe God for anything beyond the norm. You're just thankful that, that He provides you with a job and that you got a paycheck. And you wonder why you're boring. Some of you, I just need a mirror right now. You wonder why you're boring. Because you've allowed God, you put God in this cage. And yes, it's the Holy Spirit, but he's not what he's intended to be. And yes, this is him, but he's not not free to do what he wants to do in your life and to take you to the heights and take you to the valleys and take you to the streams and take you to the mountaintops to do what he wants to do. And you go, man, that's just pie in the sky. No, it's God's word. If Listen, if you couldn't fail and you were independently wealthy, what would you do for God? Then why don't you go do it? If you couldn't fail and you were independently wealthy, so money wasn't an issue, what would you do for God? Then why don't you go do it? Well, that's easy for you to say, Mr. Preacher, man. Well, I did it, and I'm doing it every day of my life. Because when I, was, when I encountered that question, I realized that the thing that God had put in my heart was that I was supposed to pastor at the local level, which is what I was doing, but that God had called me to not only just pastor at the local level, but to go plant a church and to do what I thought could be and should be. And I'll never forget at sitting in some major churches in the country. I was in Alpharetta, Georgia, sitting there at Andy Stanley's church and looking around and going, this is what church can be like. At Ed Young's in Grapevine out in the Dallas metro area going, this is what church can be like. At Craig Urshel's in Oklahoma City, this is what church can be like. This is what we can do. This can actually happen. God is at work and this is what God can do. And there were things that God had put in my heart. And so I cut the sails and I burned the ships and, and, I, and, and I and I went and sailed for new water and said, God, we're do you want me to go? And God said, Germantown, Wisconsin. Not exactly the destination I had planned. Not exactly the trajectory of where I wanted to go. I'd never been here before, didn't know anybody, but what I did know was that God was calling. And on that journey, I had so many people look at me and go, are you serious? Do you realize you could have a greater growth potential if you were in the Bible Belt? What about going to Phoenix or Vegas or going to, to, to Charlotte, North Carolina or Raleigh-Durham in the Triangle area? Or what about South Carolina? What... No, this is where God's called. Okay. I mean, some spiritual leaders in my life, some coaches and mentors in my life, some friends said, okay. My parents later told me, they thought, what in the world are you doing? Because see, when God calls you to do things, sometimes you can put limits and things upon God. And what it is, is God's really at work, but he wants to know if you're going to do that. He wants to know if you're going to believe so we sold our house in Oklahoma and we moved here, didn't know anybody except for the people that we had met. And there were a hundred lion chasers that we had met when we first came here. The people that had, had been here that were part of the church. And forever I will be indebted and grateful for their uh, latitude and for their belief that God was at work in my life. And to, and to allow God to allow us to come and serve this church. And every weekend I say on this platform, I am honored uh, by the ability to be able to stand here because I realize what God is doing and what he has done and what he will do has nothing to do with me. The only part that I've done is open the cage. That's all I've done. But but, uh, but, but, what's happened is is that the Holy Spirit then has taken this and has moved forward. And all along the way, sometimes when you're following God, there's ways to get off the, the freeway to follow God. And there's exit ramps that you can take. And there's phone calls of, hey, here's an opportunity. And I'll never forget being here early on. We were probably a couple hundred people at that point in time, and it was a cold, cold winter. These calls always come in the winter. I don't know why they come in the winter, but they come in the winter. It was a nice church, man, in the south, about a thousand people. and uh, we got your name from So-and-So, and we're very interested. We've listened to your podcast. We're very interested in what you're doing, and would love for you to come. Would you and your family be willing to come here? And they were just straightforward. Here's the salary. Here's the whole deal. And it was considerably more than what I was making. It was in a much warmer climate. It would have been much more closer to family, if you would. And I just said, thanks, man. And I really appreciate it. And you've honored me by your phone call. And I'm humbled. And I think the world of the person that you just said has has, uh, recommended me. But um, what Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 6, when he's building the wall, I'm doing a great work for God, and I can't come down. And the phone gets quiet on the other end. Did you hear what? Yeah, I heard the package. I heard the whole deal. It's really nice. I think you should pay your pastor that, and it'd be great, but this is God's called me here. Then I tell my wife, and she's, we're both in agreement, this is where God's called us. And, and I remember that night coming over to the church, and it was cold, man, and, and the heat wasn't on, and I was in my big parka coat, and I remember dropping on my knees and saying, God, I'm here. They can bury me in this place. And I will serve you and do whatever. But here's what I ask. Your word says that obedience is better than sacrifice. I know we're a couple hundred people. But here's what I ask. That you will honor the obedience. And that you will give us increase in this place. That we will be able to reach people to be able to grow to that point. And today this church is larger than that church. And I just see it over and over and over and over again. And it's not because of me. It's because I made a decision to open the cage and let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. What is it? What's the cage of assumption that you need to open? Is it the fact that you want to be debt-free? Is it the fact that you want to send your kids to college and, and, and you've never had that opportunity? Is it the fact that you want to own your own business? Is it the fact that you want to retire at a certain point and give your life to vocational ministry? Is it the fact that, that, that you want to leave the comforts of, of here and go and live life on a foreign soil? Is, is it, what, what is it? What is the thing? Because I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit wants to do it in your life. He wants to do it in your, in, in your life and he wants to do it in my life. And I go back, To the original question, what's keeping you from the wild goose chase? By now, you probably have finished the book of Acts, you're somewhere close to the end, and there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. I'm going to encourage you to read it, continue to read that book. But here's the thing about the book of Acts here's the thing about the Bible that, that I ask myself. If the Bible was still being written today, would I be following the wild goose? The way the men and the women of the scripture have, in such a way that they would write about my life. If the Bible was written today, would we at Life Church be the kind of church that would make it, like Ephesus and Rome and Corinth and Colossae and Philippi? Would we be the kind of people that the Bible would write about? Because with the exact same voice that God spoke this world into existence, one day I'll stand before him, and that very same voice, He will call me by name. And I don't want to say, this is what my life looked like, God. I just caged what you want to do. I had you in my life. Man, I love this old cage. I cling to the old rugged cage. I want to be able to say, man, Lord, I wasn't perfect. You know that. But I opened the cage and said, God, whatever you want to do, palms up, I'm here. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me today.